You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. It's been three months since we spoke last with Shabam Garg. He's an oil analyst and investor over at whitetundra.ca. Coming back on the show today to talk oil macro. Shabam, welcome back onto the show. And there's a banking crisis in my country here in the United States, but because the world's interconnected, it affects everything. And one of the results is that the oil price has been selling off the last couple of weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on this and how does this affect your investment portfolio in particular, please? Yeah, you bet. Great to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me. Um, always fun to chat oil and uh, gas. So I think this is one of the things that uh, unfortunately we oil investors have to deal with. Uh, we have our, of course, our structural bullish undersupply thesis on the one end, but then we have the global uh, Fed, which is following what the U.S. Fed is doing, uh, hell-bent on uh, reducing inflation, but in the wrong way. Instead of doing things where they they invest more in the supply, they go and fix up the supply chains globally. What they're doing is, hey, we'll just raise rates and lower demand, and uh, the people can deal with it. And uh, uh, unfortunately, they don't seem to have realized that that the uh, raising the rates has a chronic effect on the economy over a longer term. It's not, we raise rates today, and all of a sudden, like a video game, things just change uh, uh, right away that day. So uh, what they've realized, I think, at this point is maybe have raised a bit too fast. Some of the banks have come under uh, pressure from people pulling their money out. Uh, I do want to make make uh, this point very clear that, that the two banks that have gone under um, or, or are going to go under in the U.S., um, have been mostly crypto heavy, aggressively tech focused banks that that have taken on exposure. Maybe they shouldn't have. And then the other one has been Credit Suisse, which, um, if you follow the stock price of Credit Suisse in the last ten years, um, has has not looked very good. So uh, the the banks that are really under pressure are these highly uh, aggressively focused banks. The the rest of the banking industry seems to be in a much better place. Uh, in terms of their 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 liquidity, in terms of their debts they've taken on, when you compare them to 2008, uh, they were lending out, I believe, $23 for every $1 in deposits. Now that ratio is 5 to 1. The deposits they have and the lendings they make are a lot better as well in terms of where they're they're allocating that, uh, that money. So uh, looking good from that, but we are in the blast radius. When these sorts of events happen, everything sells off and commodities are one of the first ones given uh, just that they're easy to sell. There's a lot of uh, margin there and liquidity there that can just be dumped on the market uh, without care for for sort of what's happening. And uh, I think for the viewers, if you just pull up a chart of open interest in WTI contracts or Brent contracts, we have been relatively lower anyway, which means that when there's a event like this happens and a few contracts are dumped on the market, they make a much larger impact uh, on the WTI price where, where you can see three, four, five dollar moves uh, in singular days. Nothing in the physical market has changed and maybe we'll we'll get to this uh, uh, as the interview uh, continues on. But uh, really for my portfolio, I have been lucky in that in the last uh, few weeks, I had uh, reduced a little bit of my margin position uh, my margin exposure now is about a third as it was in June and July of last year. Um, the 
The, the big reason for this, of course, is the interest rate was going up. So I'm paying about the same in interest right now on the one third margin than I was back in June last year. Uh, well, March to June last year when we were in a still a relatively zero interest rate environment. So uh, really has protected me on that. I also find that some of the junior companies have been able to sustain the drawdown a lot better. Uh, and as, as uh, the viewers maybe know, I have moved my portfolio to more into the junior companies, which A, can't be margined anyway because they're under three or $5 a share, but also the holders in these companies are investing for a reason. They're not investing just because they felt like buying these. They, they, they understand the cycle, they understand the companies, they understand the growth profile. And so these companies have sustained the pressure, the selling pressure um, a little bit better as well. So overall, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to say the portfolio is down than it was two weeks ago, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, I've been lucky this time that uh, there has been no margin calls. Uh, I've been able to sustain it uh, very, very well. And then some of the recent um, gains, I would say that that some of the companies have been making uh, have been able to, uh, you know, counteract the the more recent drawdown uh, that has happened. So, you know, I, I myself am, am very happy with the price action in the equities given that we went all the way down to $66 a barrel. If this happened two, three, five, seven years ago, the entire bottom would have fallen out and you would have seen massive selling pressure. But the companies these days are just in better shape. The shareholders are more aligned with, with the cycle. And also the companies have less debt. So the value remains in the equity of the company as opposed to transferring to the debt in a drawdown um, sort of uh, scenario that we've seen over the last seven to 10 days, let's call it. So Shabam, in your outlook uh, from the supply demand for oil, could the situation right now with the banking crisis as it caused oil to sell off, and if there's an economic downturn that is more marked this year because of what's going on, could that just prolong or push back your, your bullish outlook on oil? Yeah, so this is a double whammy effect that happens here. The the crisis we see right now is real. Um, as to the impact of that and how many people get unemployed or lose their savings, that's that's one factor. Yes, um, the the real the reality of is uh, it is if you go look back into two thousand seven two thousand eight, we had a you know not I don't want to compare the two events. So so. I'm just wanting to use the oil price as a proxy. What happened in the oil price was not because of physical demand in 2008. Oil wasn't suddenly worth $147 a barrel and then worth $30 a barrel a few months later. It was it was a lot of it had to do with financial metrics. Certain banks got caught short oil, certain banks had to then dump their contracts when the actual uh, event occurred. And you you might see a similar pattern developed now. We have way less liquidity in the markets, which means that if this banking crisis gets a little bit more out of hand, you could see a lack of trust in the markets develop where banks are just forced to sell contracts. Other entities are just forced to sell contracts. And so it puts pressure on the uh, the financialized WTI market without it making an impact on the physical market. I think the physical market is still very good over the last six or seven weeks, we've started to see draws now on, on worldwide global crude, which tells me the market is getting even tighter despite WTI price going lower. So from that standpoint, I think we're good. 
the, the Asian market is picking up the barrels a lot faster than what the North American market is dropping. We're getting some early indications of spring and summer travel uh, so far this year, not seeing any major impact from this banking crisis. It's more a localized event that's happened. It affects the financial market more than it does the real world. On the other side of all of this, when I talk about the double whammy impact is when you have crude price fall below $80 a barrel, you know, let's say, what you saw was rigs were starting to drop in the US. We saw the rig count go up and then it didn't even flatline. It just immediately started dropping. We saw the frack fleets are now relatively flat year over year compared to last year where they were up 50, 100 frack fleets year over year. So there's a real impact to the oil supply when prices fall below what I think right now is a sort of break-even um, new project price of $80 a barrel with the cost inflation that we've seen within the service industry uh, in oil and gas over the last couple of years. So what does that mean? That means production is dropping. Because the rig count started dropping three, four, five months ago, then the frac count started dropping. Now it's production that's dropping. Permian production is down 250,000 barrels per day in just the last six weeks. When you have this short cycle shale production, high decline is your marginal barrel in the market, and it starts declining at these rates, you're going to see a real impact of these prices in a month, in three months, and in six months. And this is one of the things that investors should really you know, be, be focused on is oil prices are not moved in a vacuum where supply demand stays the same no matter where oil price is. They, they have a real impact. It just takes three, six, 12 months for that impact to show on the market. So we're seeing supply not go ahead as much as what was predicted. You might see similar uh, uh, changes in other supply that people are bringing online in Canada, in Brazil, in Iraq, in, in other parts of the world. And also to, to have a third whammy on this is that when prices go lower, people consume more petroleum. What you see is, okay, let's say you're booking a flight for, uh, for your family to go and visit Asia and prices were 50% above what you were paying pre-COVID. Maybe you say, hey, let's wait a month. We'll, we'll see summertime. We'll see fall time. Now with the drop in prices, the flights are now 20% over what you were paying pre-COVID. And you say, okay, honey, let's book the flights. Let's also take the kids along with us and let's go, right? So there's a real demand impact. Maybe you were booking a road trip and gas was $4 a gallon. Now it's $3.25 a gallon. You decide to go on your six-week-long road trip throughout the national parks of the U.S. So there's, there's a real impact both ways that further creates an undersupply going forward. And uh, unless the world is ending in the next few months from, from a global financial credit contagion, there's a real impact to this going forward on the physical market. And hey, the bullish thesis has been maybe pushed back a couple of months. But on the other side of it, what is going to come is getting higher in terms of pricing and it's getting longer because the supply cycle also is getting pushed back uh, at the same time demand continues to go up. So uh, the the main question really now is, can you survive this, this drawdown? Because whatever's coming on the other side is getting higher and it's getting longer. And that's the thesis I think is your structural bullish thesis, which takes time to play out. It's not a three-month cycle, it's going to be a five to seven, maybe even longer year cycle 
uh, at this point. So the outlook is good for medium to long-term oil investors, but in the near term, you mentioned surviving this this drawdown. Are there yes. any metrics or guidelines that you're employing in your own portfolio to survive this drawdown? What happens if we see $40 oil? What happens to your portfolio? How would you manage that? For sure, yeah. Uh, great question. I think if uh, if any of the viewers think that there is a, call it more than 2 3 5% chance that we stay at $40 oil or that we even get there, um, I would not be in oil equities because... It doesn't matter what the break-even of the company is. If oil prices really got to that, you will see catastrophic losses in your share prices uh, going forward. So definitely keep that in mind. The one thing I will say from my perspective, from some of the other oil investors' perspective, and this is not me patting myself on the back, this is showing you the way I think, is that we're already up 1,000 to 2,000% in the last three years. So there's a, a, a bigger margin uh, safety net, let's say, because we're sitting on a lot of house money rather than our own funds, which would be some of the newer investors who are in the space. So you have to think about things differently, uh, depending on which bracket of those you fall into. And uh, given sort of the fact that, again, house money is still my money at this point in time, it's not, it's not just free money that's sitting there. Uh, you still have to be very cognizant, very careful, uh, I myself, as I mentioned, have trimmed my margin significantly. I'm also more in some of the junior companies. Uh, there are other companies that are hedged at $85, $90 a barrel, which one could look at uh, possibly going into. And also the lower decline, lower capital companies. Any company that can cut capital without having a major impact on production uh, would be ones that that are able to sustain that for a little bit longer uh, that being said, $40 a barrel, even if it is here for a month or two, is going to have a permanent impact on some of the U.S. shale companies. They will go under because they don't have the right acreage. Their production is going to decline all the way to basically zero. And when I say they go under, not, not that they're going to go bankrupt, but they will literally run out of acreage and have no production coming out the other side. Um when they would really be able to make money off the higher oil pricing. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, when a company goes under, it doesn't have to be due to financial reasons. It could be due to geologic running out of acreage reasons, and then they have no money to go and acquire more land or do more drilling. Um, so, so definitely one of the ways to avoid high decline, high CapEx companies like that, uh, a way to, to go through this. Uh, and also, just just watch your margin. Anybody who's who's trading on margin, be very very careful. Understand the risk you're taking on, uh, because really, you could have a very short period where prices go down. And by very short, I mean less than a week or 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 two week period where prices drop. That could knock you out uh, from your your investment portfolio. At the same time, if you can time it properly. And I never condone timing markets, but the upswing on this is also going to be very, very violent. If the physical market gets so tight that the barrel cannot be found, it will start pushing oil price up despite any sort of credit events. And hey, guess what? The Fed meeting is tomorrow. If uh, Mr. Powell says, hey, we're, we might pause here or, or, or provides commentary to that extent, and the physical market gets tight, there is... 
five, seven, ten trillion dollars in money market funds, plus all the cash people are sitting on, waiting for a pause in the Fed, you could see a massive move upwards on that sort of commentary. And uh, I'm not one to advise people what to do. I I think just understand the risk reward you're taking on, uh, which to me, from an oil standpoint, at $66, $68 a barrel is absolutely fantastic. And I continue to be uh, just about fully invested with a little bit of margin room uh, in terms of buying power going forward. Shabam, everybody knows you like Canada to find your your oil plays. But I was approached recently with a a Venezuelan private co that wants to move into Venezuela, which they say is opening up. Uh, Your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, very interesting timing, given the Venezuelan uh, oil minister just resigned, I believe, yesterday or a couple of days ago for uh, stealing uh, $3 billion, was it, of of funds? So (laughs) Communists um, steal a lot more than that, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe a higher percentage was was also lost, let's say, uh, not stolen. So uh, look, I'm, I'm all for oil and gas development. I'm all for supporting companies that are going out there, taking risks and and developing. There's also money to be made in supporting these companies. But the question is, why? If companies in Canada were trading at 10, 15, 20 times cash flow, yeah, it makes sense to go and take a risk at a Venezuelan company trading at two times cash flow. Uh, And they're going to bring production online and do all this. But the same opportunities exist within Canada. There's companies trading at three times cash flow. There's companies trading, if you're now, you know, bring it up to $80 strip pricing WTI, there's companies trading at 20, 25, 30% free cash flow yields. So when I can get that sort of exposure in a more stable climate, the question really becomes, why take on that risk? If the reward justifies it, you know, maybe there's a case for it. I so far have not found this. And, um, you know, let's just discuss uh, maybe briefly some of the exploration plays that have not done well. They have got absolutely shellacked. We're talking about Recon Africa. We're talking about Eco-Atlantic Oil and Gas. Uh, we're talking about some of the other plays uh, offshore that have failed to find any uh, uh, discernible quantities of oil. Uh, and we're also talking about some of the <clears throat> North American plays where the valuations went way through the roof uh, on an exploration project and now have come down to more reasonable uh, numbers. So, um, you know, FOMO, FOMO and exploration risk is worth taking on when your producing entities are trading at much higher multiples. We're not there yet. We are still trading, call it 50 to 75% cheaper on a cash flow multiple than we were in 2012 to 2014. So while that opportunity presents itself in North America, especially focused on Canada, low decline, you have the exchange rate, a 35% bonus, you have a stable climate with known royalties um, and known known companies that are not going to pay corporate tax for the next three or four years because they have the tax pools. That's a great place to be. And uh, any any email I get or Twitter message I get about any other entity outside of that, um, I hear them out. I hear the story. At the end of the day, what I what I give them is a Canadian company. And I say, tell me why I should buy your company over the Canadian company. In a lot of times, it's... Um, silence or an answer that makes no sense uh and we sort of end the meeting there respectfully and would you do the same like if it was a offshore drill play versus a onshore drill play well so i think offshore is definitely unless you do horizontals from shore out out into the pool yes yes offshore is a 
is an interesting beast because offshore gives you wells that produce 10, 20, 30,000 barrels per day or the equivalent of gas, right? So there is upside, I think, in offshore plays. Uh, deep water drilling is going to be your source of supply going forward, your source of stable, low decline, low-ish decline supply going forward. So, um, you know, I'll I'll kind of leave it up to the individual investor. I, I don't personally look at offshore plays, but if I was to compare, let's say, a onshore Columbia play to an offshore play somewhere else in the world, I'm more attracted to the offshore play because if you hit, you can hit big time, big, big, big time. One of the most recent examples I can give you is uh, Lundin, the Lundin family uh, that discovered the Johans Ferda field offshore Norway. This field is now producing more than 500,000 barrels per day out of a very small little discovery that was initially missed. Another company drilled mere miles away from it, but they weren't in the right part of the geological depositional wedge. So if you can find these sorts of plays, you know, I'd say the the maybe it is worth taking a risk on them. But keep in mind, opportunity cost. You're giving up the development plays trading at two to three times cash flow in order to take on that risk. Um, and that's going to be up to the investor. Are What are you looking for here? Are you looking for these, these massive offshore discoveries or are you looking for uh, onshore development? There's also offshore development plays that, that could be interesting. Um, but again, I'm not... Uh, I don't look at them in as much detail to make a comparison uh, because I know onshore Canada and I believe that uh, the, the geology there is just fantastic, uh, worth pursuing from a junior cap um, producer uh, at this time when they trade so cheap. Shabam, your website is whitetundra.ca. Uh, for listeners that aren't familiar with your work, what could they find there? Yeah, so uh, on my website, I am a fully disclosure. Um, my portfolios are on there, both my White Tundra portfolio and my personal portfolio. I also have articles I've written in the past for Seeking Alpha and also for, for the website uh, that are on there. And then my Sunday seminars. So every Sunday or second Sunday, I host a session completely free, no sign up required. Um, just attend over Zoom or on Twitter Spaces. I talk about all kinds of topics, company valuation, acreage, well by well results. My most recent one um, yesterday, well, two days ago now, was on Q4 reviews and junior company outlook. My next one is on offshore development uh, worldwide. So all kinds of topics. Uh, 2023 is going to be focused on more petroleum engineering topics. Uh, 2022, all the recordings are on YouTube. It uh, was more focused on company by company analysis uh, and valuation metrics. So Anybody looking to get into the industry in terms of investment, 2022 will be your uh, company deep analysis. 2023 will be your overall topics, uh, petroleum engineering and engineering and other uh, ways to conduct business in the old patch uh, that I have up there. And they're completely up there um, You know, for anybody looking to learn more about the industry, because let's be honest, this is a $10 trillion per year industry. It is not something you learn overnight and become a genius. So a lot of interesting uh, uh, concepts need to be understood and, uh, you know, will make you a better investor for the cycle going forward, especially given the volatility that one is to expect when investing in, uh, in oil and gas in general. And when there's a banking crisis going on, <laughs> volatility is a word that gets a new meaning and a new definition uh, as well. 
Excellent. Well, Shabam, thank you for coming on today's show and sharing your insights. Yeah, you betcha. Always fun. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.